0: Well, I don't have any science experiments, so it's a wash for me. <laughs> Might as well just close up now. Uh, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? <clears throat> good. Uh, yeah, let's just go ahead and get right into it. If you are using a pew Bible today, we're going to be in page 839. It's Mark chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verses 1 all the way down to 20. But this is a really large passage of scripture, so I'm going to be doing it uh, in chunks. Um, we're not going to read the full thing up front. Or I'm just going to kind of work through it, maybe uh, two or three verses at a time. Before I get started, though, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we want to thank you so much for your faithfulness uh, today. Thank you so much for the, the children, and we just see them, and they, uh, they do all sorts of fun and outrageous sorts of things, and we look at them with just so much joy and love, and they can create messes, and they can, they can make all sorts of mistakes, but we love them nonetheless, and it is such a privilege to be able to see that and feel that, whether we're parents or not, um, whether we enjoy kids that much or not we get to see what wonder there is in in a child, and you choose to call us that. You choose to call yourself a father and to view us like children, and you desire for us more and more to become more and more like children that we may enter into your kingdom. So today, Lord, please, in order that you may be glorified, um, prepare our hearts to be childlike, willing to hear and to obey. Holy Spirit, empower us to obey. God, we we welcome you here. If you're not here with us, there's no reason that we should be here. In Jesus' name, we claim this room, claim the authority in this room, and just pray that the word would move powerfully here. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright guys, let's get right into it. Today we're starting a new sermon series. It's just called Parables. This is a stretch in the book of Mark where he lays out uh, several parables of Jesus Christ. And so since we're working through the book of Mark, just uh, a verse at a time, uh, we're going to be following this model. Um... So let's talk a little bit about what a parable is. The word parable that we have is just a cognate of the Greek word that's used in the majority of places in our New Testament. Uh, The word parable in the Greek is something along the lines of parabole. I'm not a Greek scholar, but if I didn't say that, you would have thought I was. You'd been like, man, he really pronounced that correctly. Well, it's made up of uh, two words, and para is a prefix that means alongside. So if you think of the word parallel, uh, it's the arrangement of two things beside one another in in perfect uh, structure. If you think of the word paranormal, it means we're discussing something that is beside what we normally or usually see. Uh, And so para-bull is first talking about something beside, and the second half of the word bull is from the Greek word below which means to set parable is a word that means to set aside now if you're familiar at all with the Bible we're, we're used to parables being narratives illustrative stories and a lot of the times they are and what we're going to read today the majority of it is a narrative illustrative allegory a story but a parable doesn't have to follow that structure A parable is any rhetoric device where you set aside the discussion at hand and prove it by some other means. Uh, About five weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 3, and Jesus told a really quick parable that was just, you know, no one enters into the house of a strong man unless he first binds the strong man. It's not really a story. It's just kind of an illustration. And that's what parables are. They're setting aside the conversation at hand. To make an example. And Jesus oftentimes spoke in parables. Uh, the gospel writer Matthew cited a psalm and said that this is a messianic psalm of Asaph, Psalm 78, which said, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old. But in Psalm 78, it was not written in Greek. Remember, we get the word parable from the Greek word. In the psalms, most of them are written in Hebrew. And that word just could be translated proverb. It's just a bit, a, a nugget of wisdom, and to be able to speak in proverbs, to be able to speak in wisdom, was a mark of, of brilliance. King Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man in all of history, was said to speak in over th- in three thousand proverbs, or we could say three thousand parables it's a mark of wisdom now jesus spoke in many parables not just to show that he was brilliant he had a very specific purpose of speaking in parables and he's going to explain that in our passage this morning to give you a highlight heads up the reason jesus chose to spoke in to speak in parables was to veil what he was saying to some people Jesus intentionally was isolating a portion of his listeners because he was targeting specific people with what he was saying at specific times. Those that he'd intentionally isolated out of the picture were people he didn't want to be discussing things with at that time. And we'll get into that a little bit more. We're going to be in the parable of the sower this morning, which is the parable about a water bottle with an eyedropper that goes up and down. At least it will be in my memory from now on. Um, I want to clear up some potential misunderstandings of this parable. The way this parable functions in Jesus says, a sower goes out to sow, he throws seeds, and the seeds are the word of God, and they land in four different kinds of places. I think a mistake that we can make is to get too deep into this story and think that what Jesus is trying to tell us is when the word of God comes knocking on on the door of our lives, whatever condition we're in is the condition that we're in, and it's going to bear the result reflecting the condition that we're in. Either we're people of really good soil where God's word is going to take root and do powerful things, or we're not. I think that that's a misunderstanding of this passage. I think that that's a misunderstanding of this passage. And that's because in the Bible, it's often described that there's kind of three enemies in anti-trinity, if you will, that, that go contrary to the will of God's holy trinity, the holy trinity being God the Father, Jesus Son, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there is kind of a threefold enemy that is contrary to that holy trinity, which is described as the devil, the world, and the flesh, those three. Now, in Jesus's story, he'll give us four different kinds of soils, and three out of the four soils do not bear fruit. And each of those three soils that are fruitless, Jesus associates with one of those three enemies, the devil, the world, or the flesh. So, I don't think Jesus is saying whatever condition you're in when you hear the word of God is the, is the only thing that you can do. It comes knocking on your door at whatever place you are in your life, and you're either able to receive it or you're not. I think rather what Jesus is saying is that this world is hostile to the word of God. There are many enemies contrary to the word of God. And when the word of God goes out, it is much more likely that it be stunted, stolen, choked out, or ignored. And we're going to get into that quite a bit. So let's read it. The the first chunk we're going to be in is chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says again he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things and parables and in his teaching he said to them pause we'll get to that in just a second <clears throat> so mark says again jesus began preaching by the sea this is because in chapter 2 jesus had a kind of private teaching by the sea. But that time, it was only him and a small number of his early disciples. This time, there's a lot of people there. In fact, there are so many people that the shore is so crowded that Jesus has to get into a boat and push out from the shore and teach from the boat. Not only does this give room for more people on the shore to hear Jesus, but uh, scientifically, sound travels further over water so jesus being the creator of this this world he knows how the physics of it works and he's kind of created for himself a natural amphitheater this is kind of the big point the first big point of our study today this passage surrounds so much the theme of hearing so much the theme of listening Now, the very first thing that jesus does is before teaching is to provide a way that many can hear what he has to say now in our language we have two different words we have hearing and listening right and, and we like to distinguish between the two we say it's not enough to hear something you got to listen to internalize it in this passage we're going to see uses of the english word listen and english usage of the word hear but in the original language it's all the same greek word and it it occurs seven times in this passage. It's a major theme. And if I can give um if I can give a word up front, it would be that Jesus' intention is for everybody around, as many people as possible, to be within earshot of his words. Like a sower throwing seeds as far as he can, Jesus's hope. Is that he can have as much of an audience as possible audience meaning they can hear him so jesus speaks to them in many parables including the one we're studying today which is as follows and it's going to be in verse three through nine and it's this parable is bookended by commands to hear commands to listen verse three listen behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and fell into good soil and produced grain. And growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear let him hear he starts the story with listen everybody and then when he's done he's saying if you can hear me listen it's a massive theme we're going to get a complete play-by-play by jesus in the coming verses of a translation of this parable this this parable is special because most parables uh they don't have jesus interpreting them and so we kind of have to dig into what we know about God and come to an understanding that's according to Scripture. But this one, Jesus will actually translate it in the book of Mark. So we'll get there in just a second. All I want to do first is to explain the on-the-surface on the details of this parable. Now, because Jesus' original audience, they would have understand this language, understood this language extremely well. This was all very familiar with them. Agriculture, planting crop yielding that was a natural part of their life as much as grocery shopping is a part of our life today but after centuries and millennia of separation we're not as familiar with these terms as jesus's original audience so it's my intention to try to walk us through this so a sower is you can you can call him a farmer but his main function is to throw seeds we have machines to do this today but in jesus's day it was common for people to sow seeds by hand because you could throw them far, you can spread them, and you can have more control in the variance of where they go. So picture a man or a woman walking with a satchel on their side full of seed, and they're just throwing away. It was really un- commonly understood that no matter how many seeds you sow, you're not going to get an 100% return. Some seeds are going to be wasted. You don't know what lies beneath the soil. So you can throw seeds and you can even bury them in soil that looks great. But like the one in Jesus' story, there could be rocks underneath and it might not yield anything. And the people in Jesus' hearing knew this. Uh, According to John MacArthur, a really successful crop yielding is 7.5 fold. So when you're, you're weighing how much seed you've thrown and how much fruit you've gotten in return, to get a 7.5 return was considered a stellar year. But this is something that's often lost on us because we're not so familiar with this culture. Here when Jesus talks about the good soil, he says they land in good soil and they bear 30-fold. The baseline yields that he talks about this good soil is four times greater than what any any farmer, any sower in their right mind would ever expect. So instantly, Jesus' listeners start listening. like, wait, what? 30? No, 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 that's way too much. And then Jesus says, and 60. They're like, no, no way. And 100 folds. And they're like, he's talking about something not literal, isn't he? So it, that can't be lost on us. That Jesus is talking about that frequently, just like in in agriculture seed is sown but it doesn't yield any fruit but when it does yield fruit it is something supernatural something far beyond what anyone could expect all right we're going to unpack the translation of that in just a little bit but something happens in the middle Uh, jesus stays for a while and he continues to preach probably the book of matthew chapter 13 outlines all of the parables that jesus teaches in this time as he's uh, in the boat and he's speaking to the people on the shore but when it's over when all the crowds have gone the 12 special disciples that jesus chose by name and then a few others kind of talk to jesus when he's by himself and this is in verses 10 through 13. it says and when he jesus was alone those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay, so they take, they take Jesus aside, and they ask him about the parables. The way that Mark words this is is a little bit hard to understand. Are they asking him to explain the parable of the sower? Uh, They're not. They're asking him about the parables, meaning, Jesus, why do you teach people in parables? Did you see how many people were out there? You got out on the water and everyone could hear you, and instead of speaking clearly and succinctly and just telling people what to do, you tell these cryptic stories. Why would you do that? In, in, Matthew, uh, in Matthew's version of this story, it's phrased like this. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? That's Matthew 13, 10. Now, Jesus's answer is really strange. Effectively, what he says is God has intentionally let himself be made known to Jesus's disciples. The 12 that Jesus had chosen by name, And the others who heard and understood. These were people that God was after. And so he's given them a leg in. But for everybody else, God has intentionally veiled his word. That begs the question, why? Why is God um, playing favorites? Jesus says this that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's a really weird thing to say. He's saying, well, uh, you know, God has chosen some people he wants to understand and some people he doesn't want to understand. You know, like as it said, God doesn't want them to see, God doesn't want them to hear, he doesn't want them to turn and be forgiven. It's really, really strange, right? What Jesus is doing there, he's actually paraphrasing a prophecy from Isaiah 6. And uh, I don't want to get too deep into the hedges of it, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. You can turn there if you'd like. It's Isaiah 6, uh, starting in verse 9, and it'll go all the way down to 13. We have to read the whole thing because the last line of this prophecy is going to relate to the parable that Jesus just told. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And he, that's God, is speaking to Isaiah, said... Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ear, see see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Yeah, you don't want them seeing with their ears either. Yeah, but that goes without saying. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is in its stump." This prophecy we, we could spend a long time talking about that, but we're not in Isaiah this morning, so I just want to summarize what that means. God told Isaiah that his first prophetic mission to the people of Israel was to say that they are going to continue to disobey God's word. God is going to faithfully send out prophets to sow the seed, if you will, so that way many people will be within the hearing of God's word. But God is not going to let them listen because he had a plan of judgment over Israel. His plan was to allow these foreign kingdoms to come and trample the nation. And for the, for the Israelites to be taken captive, this was a part of God's plan. And so he stayed them from listening because he had a sovereign will. Now, for those of us who are listening, you may or may not think that that's fair, but God makes the rules, he has a plan. Think of all of the good things that have come from the captivity of Israel, the entire book of Daniel, many of the prophetic books have brought people to the Lord today because the people who heard them were in great distress. God had a will, a plan, a purpose, and even a design of how he wanted to share his word. But the powerful thing is in the last line Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. What God means by that is even if you cut down a tree and it's it's no longer tall and proud and vibrant, if the stump remains rooted in the earth, that's enough to reproduce more trees. That's enough to replicate the crop that was once cut down. Again, you may not feel comfortable with the fact that God doesn't want to save every single person now, that he doesn't want to speak clearly to every single person now, but this is an illustration of God's mercy. It says, no matter how I lay out my judgment on these peoples, I'm going to leave a stump. I'm going to leave a remnant. My word will be present. Everyone will get this opportunity, and it may come differently, And may come clearly to some and veiled to others. But God is merciful. And the stump remains. Now, so Jesus, though, he doesn't talk through that prophecy like we just did today. He doesn't even say the whole thing. He paraphrases it. And he cuts out parts. He's just referring to it. And I can almost picture Jesus, like, citing it and then, like, winking and doing, like, a, right? And he's met with blank stares. And he's like wait a second do you guys not understand this parable when jesus says do you not understand this parable it's my opinion and you could disagree with me which is fine i don't think he's talking about the parable of the sower i think he's talking about the prophecy in the book of isaiah when jesus is citing it and he says you don't understand this parable i think he's talking about what he just quoted and he's looking at them and he realized that they don't understand. They may not even know what he's referencing. And then he goes, how will you understand all of the parables? OK, the sower, and he goes back and he walks them through one of the parables that he taught, them, taught the crowds earlier this afternoon. OK, and this is where we get the translation of the parable. He says this in verse 14, the sower sows the word. We've jumped ahead and talked about that already quite a bit so far, but this is so important. The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. The sower is not out spreading love, throwing random acts of kindness. It's not friendliness. It's not niceness. It's not gentleness. All of those good things are but tools for accomplishing this primary goal, which is sowing the word. What word? The word of God. Now, what is the word of God? It, it's It's a number of things. Primarily, it's what we find in Scripture. The ultimate authority of whatever is said in the name of God has to line up with Scripture. It's the ultimate authority. And when Scripture is read in the hearing of people, the seed is sown, like we've done today. Anything that I've spoken to you guys may fall short. Like I just said a second ago, some of these are just my thoughts. But God's word is perfect. And when we read God's word within our hearing, the seed is sown. That's the most, pro- that's the most um, prominent example of God's word. But in the lives of believers, there's so much more of God's word. You may be a Christian today, or you may not be a Christian today. But God's word is manifest in our lives through our conscience that leads us towards good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. When our conscience lines up with the word of God, with the Bible, that is God's word. Or when a brother or sister in the Lord, or maybe you're not a Christian and a Christian person to you is telling you something of the Bible, spreading the gospel, or a brother and sister in the Lord is challenging you or admonishing you towards something that they see in your life that could probably grow, that's the word of God. Prophecy, which that is, is the word of God. And like a sower throwing seeds, God sends his word far, wide, and broadly through many different means. But of course the primary and most prominent version of this is what we find in scripture so jesus talks about four particular cases and he translates these four soils one at a time in verse 15 he says and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them just just for context i'm going to also read verse four so you remember what The original word of the the parable was. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Jesus's translation is 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The ones that fall on the footpath are meant to be symbolic of how Satan is averse to people receiving God's word. We talked about the the threefold enemies of God in this world, which are the devil, the world, and the flesh. Satan is one that often is overlooked in this generation of the church. Often we think that the the the, one of the only threats to God um, doing work in our lives is our own weak constitution. And we'll get to there. That's in this passage, too. But there is a very real enemy who is active and aggressive. When God's word goes out, he wants to take it immediately so that it won't bear fruit in your life. And sometimes when, when you entertain the thought that God's word may be valid, that something that you read in scripture which challenges you may be valid or something that somebody's spoken to you may be true and valid thoughts start springing up don't they or random people start sharing their opinions it comes out like this we think to ourselves what would i th- what was i thinking that wasn't real or we start begin- becoming internally defensive saying who does so-and-so thinks thinks she is judging me like that or if they were a true friend they would accept accept me for who I am instead of trying to change me like that. Or maybe it's just as simple as, I'm so hungry right now. I wonder if I have enough Domino's points for a free pizza. (laughs) This is way too heavy to think about right now. I need to kick back, get some food in my stomach, watch some TV, then I could think about the religious stuff. Sometimes those messages, those ideas, those words are like birds quickly running towards seed thrown on the floor. And it's because Satan has sent them out. To, to steal away God's word from taking root in our lives, that's a very real threat. And if there is any sense of priority in the way that Jesus has organized this parable, that's the first thing that Jesus tells the people to be leery about. In the case of the seed on the footpath, The antagonism of the devil stops God's word from bearing fruit in the hearer's life. Let's move on to the next soil. In verse 5, it says, Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus translates this in verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. For the very reason that this soil in Jesus' parable is shallow, it springs up immediately. God's word like a seed, is spoken to this kind of person, and immediately it starts bearing results. But that quick response is not a signal of of depth. It's actually the opposite. It's a signal of shallowness. And if you can imagine a plant with just centimeters deep roots, when the sprout above the soil, starts becoming exposed to the elements of the world, the wind, the harsh sun, people walking by, animals. As the sprout is shaken back and forth, there's not enough foundation to hold it firm, and eventually that sprout breaks. Jesus likens this to the weak constitution of a human being. If if there are three enemies to God in this world, the devil, the world, and the flesh, this one would be the flesh, that the flesh is weak. And if the word doesn't bear a deep enough root in our lives, then we're just depending on the strength, or rather the lack thereof, in our own flesh. As we said earlier, the world, this life, this environment is hostile to God's word bearing fruit. And there will be many things that come along that make us second guess or disparage or doubt the things that God is trying to speak to us, whether through his word or through people. And in this example, Jesus says, like a rocky soil, people without a depth of the word in their lives will throw in the towel. That's what's being described here. Yes, he talks about the elements, yeah, the sun and all these sorts of things, but he doesn't fault those external um, threats to being why this fails to bear fruit. What he says is, when the tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the weakness of the flesh. It kind of reminds me of why Jesus says, like, hey, If you're going to follow me, it's like carrying a cross, an instrument of death, an instrument of execution. He said, you better count the cost. Even people who build buildings count the cost. You don't want a half building being in the middle of, of, of a field. So people go, hey, you remember that guy who started but didn't have enough gut to finish out? Jesus says, just like that. If you're going to follow me, count the cost. Because this road leads into self death, self denial. Where in the case of the footpath, the antagonism of the devil, the devil stops the word from bearing fruit. In the case of the rocky soil, it's the weakness, the irresolution of the flesh that stops the word from bearing fruit. It's the weakness of the flesh. <clears throat> so Jesus continues, verse 18. We'll kind of speed up a little bit here and others are the ones sown among the thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful this is the seed sown among the thorns if the first one was the devil the second one being the flesh this one is the world now the bible refers to the worlds a lot and it And when the Bible says the world, oftentimes it talks about this sort of ethereal movement of influence. And I'll explain how this happens. In our world, we develop culture. And culture a lot of times involves moral by committee, right? This is what we say is right because we say it's right. And we agree that it's right. That seems, that seems fine. It seems like a good thing, democracy. People get an equal say, and the majority rules. But the problem is, is every single individual person, myself included, is not just imperfect, but bent towards sin. The Bible says that we're even bent towards rebellion against God. And when you get a lot of people in a room together who are all bent against God, they start to support each other saying, I agree what you're doing is okay. I agree that this is right. We should go about the world this way. And it sort of stirs up this sphere of influence that the Bible calls the world. And the world develops this system, this code of morals, this code of conduct that ends up being contrary to God because it's been made by people who are contrary to God. And so for this one, The seed in the thorny ground is hindered by the contrariness of the world, the fact that the world is at enmity with God. So we're going to reach the last soil. But those who are sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Despite the majority of scenarios leading to no fruit, there is one case where Jesus says, not only will it bear fruit, but it will bear a miraculous amount of fruit. Now, what's the difference between this soil and the others? Is it just that it happens to be better off? No. Jesus translates this for us. He says this. They're the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. I don't know if you've noticed this pattern, but in all four cases, all of them hear the word. The seed falls on the ground. They hear the word. In verse 15, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away. In verse 16, when they hear the word immediately, they receive it with joy, but then they give up. In verse 18, 18, who hear the word, but the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches, so on and so forth. The only difference between the good soil and the several cases of bad soil is one accepts God's word. That word for accept, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but that word for accept is actually a poetic one. It's very beautiful. And it paints a picture of taking someone by the hand and walking beside them. It has that same prefix, para. It paints a picture of taking the hand and walking beside. When somebody hears God's word and decides to accept it, it means that they trust it means that they've embraced it in a relational and intimate sort of way, and they will continue to walk with that. It will influence the coming journey of their life, their future. Jesus, again, like kids, he just says, just grab the hand. If you grab the hand and follow where you're led, it's going to bear a miraculous amount of fruit. This kind of reminds me of of my story, it reminds me of anybody's story, really. All of us uh, who are here today, you're here for one particular reason, because at one point, there was one decision that you made that led to this, you sitting amongst Christians, whether you identify as a Christian or not. And it, it kind of reminds me of my father-in-law. I'm going to share a quick story, and we're, we're close to coming to a close here. My father-in-law was at a time in his life, and he gave me permission to share this, by the way. He was at a time in his life where he was really, really low. He'd just gotten a divorce. He had to move back in with his parents. And uh, he was he was doing the best he can to kind of uh, carry on his athletic career from college. At, but at age 25, it just wasn't looking good for him. And so he went for a ride on his motorcycle. And at this point, he'd already heard the gospel. He decided it wasn't good. It wasn't for him. And he's just riding down the streets in Hawaii. And a car coming from the opposite direction hits his motorcycle. He goes flying through the air. And he lands on his back and he's looking up at the stars. And he says something along the lines of to, of God of this to God. He says, Okay, fine. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, he he describes this as a time in his life when God flipped his script by flipping his body, you know? And and that moment where he just surrendered, where he was just like, okay, fine. <laughs> That led to him then becoming a Christian, uh, marrying a believer and raising a household that's built upon Jesus, becoming a pastor in Hawaii, and then moving out to California and taking over a church that was supposed to fail and pastoring over it for 16 years. It was that decision when he just said, okay, fine, that led him to taking in a chunky teenager with a chip on his shoulder and encouraging him to follow Jesus. And now that chunky teenager stands before you and by God's grace is hopefully bearing fruit in your life and is is raising a family of his own, maybe those kids will bear fruit. That's just one example how one example of acceptance, of fine, I'll take the hand, bears more fruit than you can expect. 30, 60, 100, whatever. That's one example. All of you guys have examples like that. If you went back one generation of the person who led you to the Lord, and one generation beyond that, so, so, so very much. But ultimately, all of our stories lead to one example of obedience, and that's Jesus's. You see, God the Father called Jesus to come to this earth. And Jesus happily and willingly obeyed. And when he came to this earth, he sowed seeds. Just like this example. This parable is quite meta. When he's speaking from the boat, he was doing this very thing. And here we are. The seeds, the fruit of his ministry. There's uh, another parable that Jesus uses to describe his ministry. And he's trying to clue in his friends that he's going to die on the cross. And he says this, unless a grain falls to the earth and dies, it's not going to bear any fruit. But if it does fall to the earth and dies, it will bear fruit. Jesus' very purpose, his, his very decision to accept the calling that God put on his life was directly resulted in his death. That was his ministry. And we are the fruit of that. But he describes us as as fruit as well, which is the same word that he uses to describe himself as grain. So it's our job also to lay down our lives to propagate this message. And hopefully we we bear witness towards people who will then, again, they themselves lay down their lives and bear more fruit and then more fruit and then more fruit and then more fruit. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a Ponzi scheme that God came up with. A self-replicating ministry that leads to power. If, if you're not a believer today, God's word was shared to you. I tried to to be a sower. I, I I tried to tell you the gospel that includes Jesus showing Himself and His love for us, that He would He would die on the cross to rebuild an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God and that he rose again to prove to us that he has eternal life to offer for us that is God's word and it's been spoken in your hearing today and now it's it's up to you whether or not you're going to grab that by the hand and say okay I'm going to walk with this if you're going to look up at the stars and say okay fine fine there's so many reasons to ignore God's word. The world is rampant. This environment is rampant with reasons to disregard God's word. But if you would accept God's word, then the fruit that God accomplishes in your life will then spill over into others, and that fruit will be rampant far beyond. Now, if you are a believer today, each day, today included, And to me included, God sows his word in our lives. Whether we got the Devo in the morning or not, God speaks to us. He does it through his word. He does it through the Holy Spirit elevating our conscience. He does it through our brothers and sisters in the Lord who gently and humbly challenge us and admonish us. He does that every single day, that every single day we may become more like him that we can bear fruit. You may not know what it is that God is trying to speak to you today, but, you know, honestly, more likely than not, you do. More likely than not, you've been wrestling with God with something that he's challenging challenging you to give up or to do or to say. And we're also in the same boat where we can look to the devil We can look to the weakness of our flesh or we can look to the distractions of the world that would make us prioritize other things beyond being a religious fanatic. And we can be fruitless. But our God came and died so that way we can bear fruit. All we have to do is to take his word by the hand and walk beside it and see what powerful things he does to experience the miraculous work of Jesus' ministry made real in our very lives. We have the opportunity to see holy results in our lives like nothing we could ever even have fathomed. So may Jesus be glorified, and may he be obeyed. Let's pray. Lord, you're so kind. You sow your word broadly so that way many can hear and it's your purpose today that some of us would understand this passage and that some of us wouldn't and that is that is even that is by your grace you are not a merciless god there will be a time when those of us within this hearing will will hear exactly what what it is you're trying to tell us but lord i pray that you would be victorious this world is full of your enemies the devil, who is an antagonistic enemy, this world, which is a contrary enemy, and our flesh, which is a weak, irresolute enemy. But God, you are so gracious. You are so powerful. So we welcome you. And um, I speak today for my brothers and sisters and, and for myself when I say, Lord, I know something that you're challenging me on my heart. Uh, personally, for me, it's the, the, the amount of time I spend in, in entertainment. So I, I hear that word from you, Lord, and I choose to accept it. And I choose to walk with you and see what kind of fruit you bear when I obey you to, to take that down and to submit it to your authority. And for my brothers and sisters here, if, if there's anybody here who just has silence when they want to hear your word, Lord, please speak clearly. You're not divided. You're calling them to listen to you. May you also speak. We thank you for your kindness, for your goodness. May you be glorified forever in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have uh, two more worship songs, and we're going to set the communion up here. If you're a believer today, it's available to you. Um, Jesus did command us to take communion, that we could regularly express acceptance of his sacrifice and that we can uh, regularly receive this this gift. Um, If if you're not a Christian today, but you're interested in taking communion, come talk to me and let's pray through it. I will be available in the front pew if you'd like some prayer today. I would love to come alongside you if you feel like God has spoken a word to you that you're afraid or maybe feel too weak to, to obey. That's the privilege of the church. We bear each other's burdens. But let's let's have some worship time. Let's have communion, and then we'll have uh, potluck afterwards. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Thank you.